It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. Hello and welcome to What Goes Up, a weekly markets podcast. My name is Mike Regan. I'm a senior editor at Bloomberg. I'm Valdana Hayek, a cross-asset reporter with Bloomberg. And this week on the show, well, they've been calling this year's bear market in cryptocurrencies a crypto winter, but it's starting to look more like a crypto ice age. Hat tip to Valdana for that turn of phrase. But the implosion of the FTX exchanges and the rest of Sam Bankman-Fried's digital asset empire is reverberating throughout the industry. Many, many billions of dollars have been evaporated, jobs have been lost, and institutions and retail investors have, well, they've been left holding the bag. So where is all this heading? We'll get into it with the chief investment officer of a crypto-focused asset manager. But first, Viltana, I've got to ask you. Do you mm-hmm. happen to own a pair of Birkenstocks? No, I think, okay, this is an unpopular opinion. I think they're so ugly. Really? Yeah. All my friends have them. I think they're absolutely heinous. I'm sorry to all my friends. Really? Yeah. Why? You have them? I, I've got a pair. I, I prefer to wear them with socks, which... um Is that also an unpopular opinion? Not, which is a very unpopular opinion, yeah. My wife uh, gives me a lot of grief over that, but... This is kind of a tease for my craziest thing of the week. And in fact, I feel like a lot of our crazy things end up revolving around footwear for some reason. I don't know. I'm just picturing you with socks and beat up Birkenstocks going to like a soccer game or something. Yeah. I'm not going to ask our guest how he feels about Birkenstocks. (laughs) 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 But I do want to introduce him. I heard him snickering at, at, at this little conversation here. Matt Hogan, he's the CIO at Bitwise. Thank you so much for for joining us and for coming into the studio. Thanks for having me. And I'm short Birkenstocks as well. Oh, <laughs> to, thank just to God. I had yep. a feeling. Mm-hmm. I had a feeling, but I didn't want to venture there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, tell us, just to start out, tell us about Bitwise and how you guys have been affected over the last couple of weeks in what honestly has felt like 10 years of my lifetime. It does feel like 10 years. So Bitwise is a specialist crypto asset manager. Crypto is all that we do. We serve primarily professional investors, financial advisors, family offices, and institutions. We've been in the market since 2017, so this is not our first bear market in crypto. And we are best known for creating the world's first crypto index fund, the Bitwise 10, which holds the 10 largest crypto assets weighted by market cap. Uh, People have referred to it as the S&P 500 of crypto. In the scale of crypto asset managers, we're on the very conservative side long-term investors uh, in in diversified index funds. And uh, that's what we've been doing. And what about the last couple of weeks and how that's affected your funds and your operations and everything that's been going on has been just... Yeah, the last couple of weeks have been exhausting. Mm -hmm. I think everyone in the crypto industry 
would agree with that. As an asset manager, we did not trade on FTX. We actually never or almost never trade on exchanges. We did not custody assets with FTX. So we have no losses associated with that. But of course, we're part of this broader crypto industry, and it's had huge effects on that market. But I wanted to get into that idea of custody a little bit because it's so such an important topic now. You know, everyone's talking about uh, not your keys, not your coins. You know, if you don't actually have the crypto uh, blockchain uh, pass keys, everyone's pointing the finger, looking at everyone else, wondering, you know, sort of where the next domino is going to fall. And if, you know, whoever actually has the custody of their coins uh, will be next. From my understanding, you guys custody with Coinbase, right? And that, yeah, we custody different funds with different uh, custodians. So yeah. our flagship fund is custodied with Coinbase Institutional. Uh, our Bitcoin fund is custodied with Fidelity. We have another fund that's custodied with Anchorage, which is a federally chartered digital bank. The thing that connects all three of them and the way I think about this custody landscape is that they're all U.S. domiciled, regulated institutions with insurance in place on their custody. If you think about the various ways that crypto investors can custody assets, it's kind of like a barbell. At one end of the barbell is what you mentioned, where you hold your crypto keys directly, individually, in a safety deposit box, on a ledger or whatever. On the other end of the spectrum is what Bitwise does, working with some of the largest institutions in the crypto space, firms like Fidelity, firms like Coinbase that have been in the market you know, for 10 years, it's a publicly traded entity. And then there is this fuzzy middle. And the fuzzy middle is where all the bad things happen. What the fuzzy middle looks like is centralized institutions that are not regulated and often offshore. And that is not a place you should custody crypto assets. Either go toward regulated, U.S. domiciled, established institutions, or yes, if you have great security hygiene, do it yourself. I would argue that the regulated side of the spectrum is safer for the vast majority of investors. But you can be on either end of the barbell. You just can't be in this fuzzy middle. It's where good crypto ideas go to die. Right, right. You know, and Matt, I know in, uh, you know, when it comes to equity index funds, a lot of times uh, the way they sort of keep costs down and, and bring in a little extra revenue is to allow the securities they hold to be loaned out to short sellers, basically, through through various brokerages. I wonder, is that at play at all with the custody of your crypto? Is, is anyone sort of lending it out? So we never lend out our, our crypto assets that are under custody for investors. Uh, we're one of the most conservative crypto asset managers in the world, which is, is frustrating during bull markets, but feels pretty good right now. There are other asset managers that engage in what you described, what amounts to securities lending, lending out customer assets. But we consider that too risky. And also not what investors want. If you think about what investors who are allocating to crypto want, they're betting that Bitcoin is worth half a million or a million dollars. They're looking for asymmetric upside. We don't understand why someone would try to earn an extra 1% or 2 or 3% yield by lending out their Bitcoin in route to that, given the risks that are associated with it. So we don't trade on exchanges. We don't lend out our assets. We buy assets and put them in custody immediately and let them sit there. And I want to ask you uh, just a bit more on this idea of cold storage, because so many people have been coming to me over the last two weeks saying, like, this is what people have, should have been doing all along to safeguard their assets, et cetera, et cetera. 
But does that not, if everybody has their assets in cold storage, does it not sort of suck away some of the fun from crypto? <laughs> suck away some of the fun? Yeah. Because it's so boring? Yeah. You use the word boring. It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> does it suck away some of the fun? I don't know if the past few weeks have been any fun, Vildana. Uh, I think most investors would say no. What it does is recognize what crypto is as an investment which is this is an early stage, disruptive, NASA technology that exists in a gray regulatory framework. And people who are allocating to it, in my view, should be making five or 10 year bets. And if you want to make a five or 10 year bet, you do want to put this crypto in a vault and not look at it. And that's what cold storage is all about. You know, keeping it on exchange where you can day trade an 80 vol asset is maybe fun for some people, but I think it's a, a recipe for high risk. All right. I, you know, Matt, I kind of fell down the rabbit hole on this topic uh, just out of curiosity. And and one of my uh, weird hobbies is I love reading the risk factors of, of various <laughs> pub public companies. Tells you a little bit about uh, what a nerd I am. But, you know, I'm reading Coinbase's risk factors about custody and their whole thing is we're doing uh, I, I can actually read them right right for you here. We, we place great importance on safeguarding crypto assets. We custody and keeping them, quote, bankruptcy remote from our, our general creditors. The problem, though, is that and they say this here, we believe that a court would not treat custodied crypto assets as part of our general estate, meaning, you know, they're talking about a hypothetical bankruptcy here. And again, this is risk factors where you you have to disclose the worst possible scenario. You know, no, no one's, yep. you know, saying Coinbase is, is in that big of trouble. But they say, however, due to the novelty of crypto assets, courts have not yet considered this type of treatment for custody crypto assets. Boy, I guess the 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 hope really here is that these courts would decide, uh, you know, creditors cannot get their hands on custody assets. I mean, it, it, it seems to me like that's a pretty good, reasonable thing to assume. But how, how are you thinking about that idea? Yeah. Well, first, I should say I'm never going to shake the image of you in Birkenstocks and fleece socks me reading neither. risk factors <laughs> yeah. late at night. That's now every time I hear your voice, yeah. that's what I'm going that's, to see. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> it, it's a great question and one that we think about a lot. You know, I, I do think it points to something in crypto that's really important, which is that we need greater clarity from a regulatory perspective so that the best actors in the space can build on a strong foundation. We agree with Coinbase's interpretation of that, that it's highly unlikely in the event of a corporate bankruptcy that they would reach across to customer deposit assets. We need regulatory clarity that makes this exquisitely clear for all the regulated custodians in the space. We think if you look at uh, trust charter law and you look at national bank account charter law, we view Coinbase as a very sound, very solid institution in place to custody crypto. It's also a publicly traded company with audited financials, which you can see in a strong balance sheet. But you point out that there is a need in crypto for greater regulatory clarity. I think we're going to get that on an accelerated freight train basis as a result of FTX. And I actually think that's going to be great for crypto. I think that is going to sow the seeds for the next bull market in crypto. But you're absolutely right. You're taking on lots of risk in crypto. There is no free lunch in investing. Crypto is the best performing asset class in the world over the last three years, five years, and 10 years. It's up over 100,000%, even with the current drawdown. You don't get those kind of returns without risk. There is still risk in this market, which to my mind means there is still the opportunity for great returns. But 
you will need to work with gold-plated providers that are very conservative in the space to, to, to tap into those. Yeah. And, and you know, Matt, the reason I, I bring this up and, and was thinking about it is I look at the, you know, you look at the Bitwise 10 crypto index fund, uh, you know, about mm-hmm. 316 million in assets. It holds the, the 10 biggest cryptos, basically a passive index fund uh, in the crypto world. The net asset value is like 15 bucks and change per share. Uh, Share price is less than seven bucks. So we're talking about sort of a 55% discount to the actual assets that you're holding in that fund. Why is that, do you think? Is it is it the exact things we've just been talking about, basically, that people are just worried about where the next domino is going to going to hit? Well, I should start by saying we have three different ways that investors could gain access to the Bitwise 10 depending on whether they're accredited, whether they work with advisors, or whether they're buying retail. One way is through a private placement for accredited investors that's available with, uh, with access you know, on a weekly basis at NAV, so no premium and discount. Another way is a separately managed account that a financial advisor can set up that holds the assets directly held at NAV. And the third way is the one that you mentioned, which is BITW, which is a publicly traded over-the-counter Uh, OTCQX traded security. Those securities operate, given the regulatory limitations in the crypto space, like closed-end funds, which means they can trade at premiums and discounts. And given the volatility of the crypto market, not surprisingly, they trade at larger premiums and discounts than you would say see in a muni bond closed-end ETF. So what that discount reflects is, you know, more, more sellers than buyers over a period of time. What we've stated publicly to investors and what I hope the long-term outcome is, is once we're allowed to, we will convert this fund to an ETF, which is likely to you know, largely, if not entirely, eliminate that discount. The SEC is not allowed there to be a crypto ETF. I think that's another good example of regulators not helping investors by pushing forward regulatory clarity. Investors want to gain access to Bitcoin. They want to gain access to other crypto assets. If they could do it in an ETF, there wouldn't be this question of premiums and discounts. Asset managers like Bitwise are trying to help investors gain exposure to the space within the regulatory limitations we face. And so we have these OTCQX traded securities that can trade at premiums and discounts. I don't know. It's a complex answer. I hope it helped. But that's what's going on there. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it, or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. 
they're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. So you sent some notes before the podcast, and it says it's, it holds the largest 10 digital assets, but it's screened out FTT even when that token, which is the doomed FTX utility token, um, when it would have classified for inclusion. So can you tell us about that process? Because it sounds like you purposefully and cognizantly yeah, I, I I really appreciate that question. And I do think in a frontier market like crypto, you can't have a simple index fund. You need to have lots of rules that screen out assets. If you went to coinmarketcap.com and looked at their list of crypto assets by market cap, you'd have to get to asset about 21 or 22 before you found the 10th asset in our fund. So we're screening out a large number of assets. We screened out FTT. We screened out Luna. We've never held Dogecoin. We don't hold Tron. There are a variety of screens that protect us from those examples. We look at the fundamental tokenomics of an asset. That's what protected us from Luna. We saw the potential for the death spiral that claimed that quote-unquote stablecoin. We look at assets that are at undue risk of being found in violation of federal securities laws. FTT fell into that framework because we thought it was likely or possible to be deemed a security by regulators. It was, it was largely internally controlled. In our view, it could potentially meet the Howey test, and so we won't hold it in our fund. There are other screens as well that, that are really important, screens around liquidity. I'll put on my index geek hat. I used to edit the Journal of Indexes, which is the world's most boring publication. <laughs> Mike probably reads it you on probably, the weekends. With his Birkenstocks oh, on, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. I used to, Jack, Jack Bogle and I, I interviewed him a few times and, and he, he was a big, uh, he, he could quote vi- chapter and verse of that from uh, 10 years yes. ago. He was, he, was a, he was a big fan and, and, and wrote some articles for us, which was amazing. Uh, we free float adjust crypto assets, which means we don't count in the market cap of an asset, the assets that are held by insiders. And that's important because you're hearing things around FTX about serum, about these other assets that they were counting the full market cap of the month. Maps. Maps. Those would never enter our index because we will only hold the publicly traded assets, which means their publicly traded market cap was like 88 million. So yeah, we were fortunate to have these screens in place. We've been doing it for five years. We've we've avoided a number of blowups. That doesn't mean we'll avoid all of them in the future, but we do try our best. No Dogecoin. What a buzzkill, Matt. Come on. <laughs> Is, that was your your no dog meme screen, I, I take it. Or although that that was that was a case where the float was sort of half held in in some burn wallet too, right? Or, or the the total market cap. It would half held in a burn wallet. It also piggybacks on other assets, proof of work, which introduces some security risks into it. You know, we have a ten person research team. It takes that much effort to screen all these assets and maintain what from the outside looks like just the top 10, 10 assets. We put a lot of work into it. And yeah, so no Dogecoin. We think it had a fundamental security flaw. It also had that uh, that internal control. And I'm not sure it was engaged in true price discovery. There were so many outstanding coins and such a limited trading volume that I think it had that risk too. 
You know, Matt, I wanted to ask you about a lot of the pain in the industry right now is centered on these sort of high yield deposit uh, accounts where, you know, you, you give the, the Winklevoss twins your coins and you, you collect, I don't know, seven, eight percent and they loan it out to uh, someone else. Where do you see that whole sort of both centralized and decentralized high yield component of crypto going? Because I feel like it really is re- really helped bring a lot of assets, a lot of attention into the market, a lot of interest. And now it seems like the whole notion of that concept of, of getting a really high yield in crypto seems to be questionable uh, whether that business model can continue to exist. How are you looking at that? Yeah, I think that business model is going to go very quiet and then emerge as a much smaller, much more regulated, much more institutional model. I would actually argue that the yields weren't high enough to reflect the underlying risks. Um, You know, there is no free lunch. If you were looking at doing what amounts to securities lending of a Bitcoin asset or an Ethereum asset and expecting to get, you know, uh, a yield on those, working with unregulated counterparties with an AD vol asset, the yield should have been very, very high because you were taking on a huge amount of risk. What turned out in those examples is uh, those were bad loans. The collateral didn't match up. I think some of it's going to migrate to DeFi platforms. It's worth noting DeFi platforms work perfectly through this, which is really remarkable. Uh, There were no losses on things like Aave and other DeFi platforms. And then there's going to be, of course, an institutional prime brokerage, but people will only work with regulated entities. I don't think retail investors should be loaning out their crypto trying to get 5% yields anyway. I really don't think that's the bet most people want to make. People thought it was a free lunch. They thought it was riskless. It turned out they were wrong. Um, and so I think that that retail-focused lending is just going to go away. And what about the DeFi space? Because this is the other thing that I keep hearing, that DeFi is going to benefit amidst all this because when we think of FTX and Coinbase, et cetera, those are more centralized places yeah. versus DeFi maybe coming out possibly stronger from it? Or what is your view? It's definitely true. It's definitely true. I go back to that barbell image. Regulated centralized institutions that are trustworthy will benefit. Coinbase will pick up share. I think it's the most important exchange in the world. And DeFi exchanges, lending platforms, et cetera, where you can trust the code and don't have to trust, you know, Sam Bankman-Fried with his crazy hair wearing shorts. And Birkenstocks, almost certainly. No, he no, he wears he wears grungy old new, new balances. Don't. <laughs> you are right. You are right. There's a funny, funny meme about that. No, I think DeFi will benefit tremendously. There's there is a argument to make that's uncomfortable to make right now that the flaw of FTX was that it wasn't crypto enough. That rings hollow in the current market because the market is crashing and people are unable to disambiguate between good crypto and bad crypto. But it's objectively true. If investors did hold their own keys, if those loans were really collateralized and over collateralized in a way people could see, you wouldn't have these blow ups. I think if you look a year from now, you're going to see many investors who favor doing it internally migrate to DeFi and other investors, the kind of investors that Bitwise serves, migrating to well-regulated centralized institutions. I I think the question I have, though, is that this notion of DeFi decentralized uh, exchanges and, and finances, it's a great concept. But in practice, it often seems like, well, there is some sort of central party that is a very big player in it. And I think Terra Luna is a good example of that. You know, technically a DeFi project, but Do Kwan and, and Terraform Labs were 
basically in control of it. Um, so when it blew up, you know, they there was no halting of withdrawals. There were there was no bankruptcy. But, you know, you you, you got your coins out at sort of pennies on the dollar of, of what you they were a week ago. Um, so how do you think about that? You know, is it are we really at the point where these things are tr- everything is truly DeFi or is there still sort of that big player risk in a lot of these projects? I think if you look at the better projects, there is relatively low big player risk, but not zero. I think you're right to point out that in most projects, there is still an obvious big player that has significant control or a worry that that is true. Even even the best projects need to continue to migrate down that platform. But if you look at something like Uniswap, you know, I think Hayden Adams could go on vacation in in uh, for, for a year and the team at Uniswap Labs could go away and Uniswap would still be processing almost the same volume of transactions as Coinbase, which is a really remarkable thing when you think about an entity with no employees, no offices, no no centralized entity that's matching Coinbase on a volume perspective. I think that's pretty incredible. Um, but absolutely, the DeFi space needs to get more decentralized. I think there is a centrifugal force from the fallout of FTX that is going to push that. People are going to insist on that happening. In the case of Luna, that was just an a, a failed design from the start. If you've been in crypto, you've seen algorithmic stable coins come and they always go. They just don't work. They will never work. And so I think that one was one where you could you could have trusted the code. And if you thought about the code long enough, you you knew it was going to end up at zero. But but you're right. DeFi needs to get more DeFi. It needs to be truly decentralized so that we don't have these issues of trust. And you mentioned your clients. And I'm wondering, like, who is buying crypto products right now? Are people buying or is it mostly? No, absolutely. People are buying, at least from the, 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 the institutions we serve. So, again, we serve primarily financial advisors, uh, family offices and institutions. Most financial advisors today have zero exposure to crypto. And they have clients who want exposure in a trustworthy format. Some of these clients were doing it on their own, right? Coinbase has more customers than E-Trade, Charles Schwab, TD Ameritrade, and interactive brokers combined. And so advisors are now helping those those customers move into a more sound format. We've had uh, very low outflows and continued significant inflows into the space. One of the reasons for that, the reason that it, it may seem counterintuitive but I think it makes sense if you think about it. If you're a professional investor, if you're a financial advisor or a family office, and you're allocating to crypto, two things are true. One, you're doing it appropriately, which means you have a small percentage of your portfolio in crypto, one to 5% of your portfolio. If you have 1% of your portfolio and it goes to zero, you're down 1%. Well, the S&P 500 goes down one or 2% on a normal day. Portfolio sizing means they don't have to panic and sell. The other reason, is that those investors have to have very high conviction to allocate in the first place. It's not like choosing to allocate to the S&P 500 where you may be 51% convicted. You have to be confident that this is a good long-term bet. And so what we've experienced in this bear market and what we experienced in 2018 and 2019 is net inflows from these uh, professional investors. Uh, you know, One fun stat, the number of clients that Bitwise serves uh, has doubled. In the past year, uh, and that's that's a it's a big number. And I want to ask you about this crypto ETF ETP space in general because we've seen some liquidations recently as well. I'm wondering if you think the space was oversaturated with products. Launches have uh, dwindled. I think we saw, I mean, a bunch in the first half of the year actually. But 
uh, since the third quarter, I think there have only been 14 or 15 or so. So are you expecting more liquidations in, in the space in general? And, and did we have too many? Do you mean on, on Bitcoin futures ETFs, on crypto equity ETFs? Yes, all of them. Yeah. Mm. Across the space. Uh, and, and sorry, not just in the U.S., I mean globally. Yeah. Uh, you know, look, th- there there was a giant bull market in crypto in 2020 and 2021, and that attracted a lot of tourist companies to the space that were launching products trying to seize on that momentum, and they're now being filtered out. I suspect there'll be more crypto ETFs in five years than there are today. But yes, during this bear market, you'll see a winnowing, as you would in any other asset class. I think that's completely normal. Um, but, you know, Long-term, ETFs are going to be one of the primary ways that investors gain access to crypto. And I suspect long-term, you'll see significant flows into the, into the space. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You know, Matt, I think one of the issues that really maybe is not being talked about enough from the FTX blow up is this notion that in crypto, you actually your balance is held by the exchange itself, whereas you know in equities, uh, you know it's in a brokerage account. The NYSE or Nasdaq never actually holds your assets; they just match up the buyers and sellers, or whether you're talking about a dark pool or electronic market maker, or whatever. Is that something you know uh, that needs to be changed in crypto? The notion that these exchanges are also basically your broker and that they have control of your assets. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes is the answer. There should be a separation of custody and exchange. Finance has existed for hundreds of years. We've built up many norms for very good reasons. And you only disrupt those norms, you know, very carefully and with significant peril. 
The reason we've had a separation of exchange and custody is exactly the reason that we saw on FTX. You don't want to commingle those pools. That's the reason why Bitwise doesn't keep assets on exchanges, settles direct to our custodian, and just leaves them there. I think that's an example of the kind of uh, regulatory clarity that we will get in the next 12 months, and that will create a stronger foundation for crypto to grow in the future. Um, but there are many, many examples in the space where we need that kind of uh, push forward, and I think we'll get there. But it's a great point. Another thing that it's not gone unnoticed, but it just hasn't gotten as much attention recently just because the news flow has been so heavy, is that Bitcoin did sell off. But I keep seeing all these notes where people are saying, I expect a Bitcoin to be at like 10,000 or like 13,000 at this point yeah. versus it being around 16,500 or just like slightly below 17,000. Why do you think that is? It's incredible. It's like the honey badger of risk assets. It doesn't care. <laughs> about what's going on out there in an t- asset class that's a trillion dollars and the flagship asset is down, you know, 15, 20%. It's absolutely incredible. One reason for that is that all the people who would sell have, have, have not all of them, many of them have already left. This is not the first bad piece of news this year. Remember, we were in a risk-off regime that took crypto down significantly and then we had Luna and 3AC and Celsius and BlockFi and Voyager and it took crypto down more and now we have FTX. There's a lot of bad news. There's a lot of uncertainty and doubt. If you look on-chain at data, the percentage of investors who are holding Bitcoin at a loss is at or near its all-time high. So there is max pain in the crypto market, and it may be that at least in the short term, we've run out of sellers. That doesn't mean it can't go lower. Of course it can go lower. Longer-term investors could get tired of the market. People who are watching, you know, inflation continue to print at 8% may not want to hold a non-yielding uh, asset. All of those things. But it is really remarkable. Um, and, you know, it's worth noting, crypto has had blowups before. And it's gone on to be the best performing asset class in the world. It's worth noting there's more venture capital money in crypto. It raised more money in the last 18 months than its first 12 years. There are more engineers working in crypto today than at any point in the past. Um you know, this too shall pass. This isn't the end of crypto by any means. Uh, it's a disruption. It will. It's a hangover. It will take time to reset. But I think the resiliency you're seeing in Bitcoin, not just Bitcoin, in Ethereum, in Maker, in many other leading assets, points to the, the resiliency of the space and the fact that it will be back. Matt, the other day, someone in the newsroom asked me a good question uh, that I I didn't have the exact answer to. So I, I pulled out the you know the Irish Blarney trying to trying to figure out a, a good answer, uh, admittedly uh, to them. But you know the question was basically Bitcoin miners are under a lot of stress these days. What happens to Bitcoin if that issue uh, worsens? If miners just start unplugging their rigs, and there are just you know. The economics of mining don't make as much sense for as many people, as many uh, mining companies. Um, And my guess was, you know, well, uh, transactions slow down, that sort of thing. What do you think? What would happen if that if that mining stress gets worse and worse to the point of crisis? Yeah, well, first, there are going to be Bitcoin miners that go out of business. There's no question about that. If you look at the marginal cost of Bitcoin production by miners, it ranges from a low of around 10,000, which means they're still extremely profitable, to things like 25,000, which means it doesn't make sense to be in business. Many of them are highly levered, but not all of them. Some of them will go out of, out of bankruptcy. For the Bitcoin network, it won't mean much. 
you know, the, the difficulty adjustment happens every two weeks in Bitcoin. So if a lot of miners come off over the next two weeks, it'll become easier to mine Bitcoin. The cost of mining will go down for the remaining miners that are in the space. So it's set up to adjust to this kind of volatility. I don't think we're anywhere close to not having enough hash power in the Bitcoin network to it not being secure. We're way over that burden. It's the most secure database in the world. So even if, you know, half or two thirds or three quarters of miners went out of business, there'd still be enough mining power in the space to maintain the network. I don't even think you'd see transactions slow down for more than a, a couple week period. But I do think there's stress in that market. Uh, I think the companies that survive will be well positioned to thrive. But you'll, you'll see companies, including possibly publicly traded companies, go bankrupt under that stress in the coming days. And you mentioned recovery a couple of times. So what does recovery even look like at this point? Like, How does crypto start to recover and what does it look like? And I think you mentioned six months. Yeah, I think there are three milestones that crypto investors should look for in the recovery. So first, we have to get past the hangover, right? Crypto investors are going to be uncomfortable jumping in until they know there are no more shoes to drop. And I think that period could take four months, six months, eight months, a year, something in that zone before we're like, okay, the credit crisis has really abated. There are no more uh, genesises. There are no more block fies. Um, we, we've, we've hit that bottom. The next milestone, we need regulatory progress. So we need to see regulatory progress around CBD, around stable coins, around crypto exchanges. I suspect that'll happen in the next year as well. We'll start to see legislation move forward that I think will be very positive for the crypto market. And then ultimately, what always sparks the next bull market in crypto is products that people like to use. I know that sounds goofy, but if you think about crypto, it's had three big bull markets. One was 2011 to 2014. That was when Bitcoin emerged. Coinbase launched in 2011. All of a sudden, you could buy Bitcoin. Big product, product market fit. It went up a lot. The next one was 2015 to 2018. Ethereum was created in 2015. Product market fit. We found ICOs went up a lot. Regulators reset us by saying ICOs were illegal. The most recent one was DeFi, NFTs, and stablecoins. Those words didn't exist in 2019. Now they're in the pages of the New York Times, of the Wall Street Journal, of every major media outlet. So the next real bull market is when we see crypto develop useful apps. I actually think the next bull market will be marked by apps that people use in their everyday lives that are mainstream. And for that reason, I think it will be the biggest bull market in crypto from a market cap perspective. But that'll be the third milestone. When we see new applications emerge that people are using, talking about uh, sharing with their friends and colleagues. So Six months, 12 months, and then 24 months from now, I think it'll be pretty exciting. So what, what kind of apps are you thinking? You know, is this uh, metaverse stuff? Do I need to, do I need to get the, the goggles? I, I think there's so many potential applications. I don't think you need to get the goggles yet. Put them the on. The goggles are fun. They are fun. Yeah, you, you probably <laughs> should get the goggles yet. Metaverse <laughs> is, 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 is one kind of application. You know, I think NFTs have a huge place to play in society and culture. Uh, and, and NFTs as digital property rights have an even bigger place to play. Um, I think DeFi could be substantially bigger. I think stablecoins could be substantially bigger. I think one of the breakthroughs that we'll see in the next round of applications uh, is individual identity on-chain uh, and, and zero-knowledge proofs, the ability to prove something on-chain without revealing that information. A good example for investors of how that might matter, if you run... I don't know, institutional funds, you have to do 
Uh, you have to prove that your investors are accredited. In order to do that today, everyone has to disclose their brokerage statements or have their advisor attest that they're accredited. No one wants to do that with 20 different firms that they're trying to invest in because it reveals their public information 20 different times. Well, what if that could be stored on chain and you could use cryptographic functions to prove that you're accredited without revealing that underlying data? I think those are the kind of applications we're going to see in the next round. That's what I mean by real world examples. This technology of public blockchains, of cryptographic proofs, uh, has significant real-world utility, and we're just at the earliest phase of unlocking it. I think you're going to see, I don't know, dozens, maybe more of those applications in the next bull market. Oh, good stuff, Matt. Really, uh, really appreciate your time, but uh, we can't let you go just yet, unfortunately. I know you probably want to dodge this next thing, but it's time, Vildana, for the craziest things we saw in markets this week. The markets have blessed us with a lot of crazy things. They, they really have. They really have. What do you got for us? Okay, this is from Matt Levine. So I'm quoting one of his columns from earlier this week, and it was so good. It went through the, the entire FTX balance sheet and everything that was going on in there. But then at the end, he said, quote, crypt, crypt, this is separate from FTX. Crypto.com said it recovered almost $400 million in crypto asset Ether from Asian exchange Gate.io after it accidentally transferred the funds to the wrong account. Not now, Crypto.com. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. That's funny. That's funny. So even even something like that almost went unnoticed because <laughs> the rest of the news flow has been so... so. How did the owner of that wrong account, they must have uh, they must have been living large for a hot minute there. Yep. Not now, Crypto.com. <laughs> <laughs> How about uh, you, Matt? You see anything crazy this week? Pretty boring week, huh? Nothing going on. Pretty boring week. Uh, nothing to talk about. Yeah, two, <laughs> two, two, two barbells of crazy. One we talked about, the world imploded in crypto and Bitcoin shrugged. It's trading at 16,000. I think that's pretty crazy. Uh, the other thing, just so I'm not seen as a, a Pollyanna for crypto, <laughs> FTT token is still trading for half a billion dollars uh, in wow. notional market cap. And that is just nuts. I wonder why. What do you th what do you think? Is is there any possible reason for that? Is it a uh, some kind of squeeze or something? I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Why did GameStop trade to a million? <laughs> I think it's a little bit of that and a little bit of limited supply, and uh, people maybe can't access most of it because it's held on FTX exchange. Yeah. So you can't, well, yeah. That's it's all locked up. It's yeah. a zombie coin, right? Um, but yeah. still, if you look, there it is, half a billion dollars of worthless money. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. I, I think that might that might take it, but I'll, I'll give you mine here. Uh, it's courtesy of our own Drake Bennett at Bloomberg. I'm just going to read the first two paragraphs. Is this paragraphs the of his story? <laughs> yes, because okay. because he he really wrote this pretty well. On Sunday, the auction house Julian's Auctions, which is a specialist in memorabilia, closed the bidding for a pair of used suede Birkenstock sandals. Birkenstock sandals, not scandals. The two <laughs> the. The two-strap Arizona model. I didn't know there were there was more than one model. I think I have the Arizona model. The sandals don't appear to be in great shape. The best the auctioneers could say is that they, quote, appear intact. However, the cork and the jute footbeds also retained the imprint of their one-time owner's feet. That owner was Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple Computers. So... It's time to play our favorite game show, The Price is Precise, Vildana. Not The Price is Right. This is not The Price is Right. It's The Price is Precise. Precise. I, I'll give you one extra 
point of price discovery for okay. this item that that may or may not help your answer. Six years ago, these sandals sold for two thousand dollars. So, what do you suppose the winning anonymous bidder paid for Steve Jobs's broken down, falling apart pair of Birkenstocks? Oh my gosh! Okay, I'm gonna go with one hundred fifty nine thousand. One hundred and fifty nine thousand U.S. dollars. FTT token. All right, Matt. How about you? Oh, I was hoping I get to play. I'm going with five hundred and thirty two thousand. Okay, but if you're way over, you lose. I'm willing to take that risk. Okay, I'm willing to take that risk. <laughs> All right, let's see. <laughs> for for once, Vildana's taking the W on this one. Wow. $218,750 for Steve Jobs's old Birkenstocks. I, I have a feeling that Julian's auctions is going to be reaching out to Matt for the next Birkenstock uh, auction, though, <laughs> after after they heard what he's he, he's willing to bid on these things. But think about what this is. You're buying another person's old shoes. And you all thought pictures of monkeys selling for hundreds of thousands of dollars was silly. <laughs> I mean, that's it, right? That's it. It's, you know, what's it worth? Well, hey, what are you willing to pay for it? There you go. That's that's where we live in. Matt Hogan, real pleasure to talk to you and, and tap your brain on all these developments. Uh, wish you the best of luck and hopefully we can get you back on the show again someday. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Thank you, Matt. What Goes Up will be back next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal website and app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts so more listeners can find us. And you can find us on Twitter. Follow me at Reganonymous. Vildana Hyrick is at Vildana Hyrick. You can also follow Bloomberg Podcasts at Podcasts. What Goes Up is produced by Stacey Wong. Thanks for listening. See you next time. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.